How will the Seahawks deploy newcomer Zach Charbonnet alongside Ken Walker III? I'm going to be breaking down Seattle's backfield in our latest training camp preview here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all of our 12s out there that make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether you're listening in Red River, New Mexico, Oakland, California, or overseas in Barcelona, Spain. We greatly appreciate all of you taking the time to support our podcast jam-packed Tuesday episode coming your way. I'm riding solo today. Rob is enjoying a vacation, catching some fish in Alaska. So best of luck to him as he tries to get a few big fish out there on vacation. Going to be looking at the running back group today, continuing our all underrated team with running backs and cornerbacks, and then continuing our 90 man countdown. We're now into the fifties numbers, 50 through 46 jam-packed episode coming your way. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks went into the 2023 NFL draft with only two running backs on their roster. So it wasn't a surprise to see them draft a couple of running backs, but picking one in the second round for a second straight year after Ken Walker III finished as a runner-up for Rookie of the Year, that surprised a lot of people. And yet that's what Seattle did, picking Zach Charbonnet with its second Second round pick out of UCLA, a very productive player, back-to-back thousand-yard season, scored a bunch of touchdowns for the Bruins, can catch the football out of the backfield, could be a potential third down back, maybe even a short yardage option with more of a between-the-tackles downhill style maybe than Ken Walker the third. Nonetheless, it was a mystifying selection for a lot of people, and whether you're a fantasy owner or you're just a casual football fan. One of the big question marks for the Seahawks team going into the 2023 season, there's not a lot of them on the offensive side of the football, but some might point to this as a good problem, but it can be one that can be tricky to try to navigate when you have this much talent in the backfield and that much capital invested in the position. So the big question is, how do you try to deploy Ken Walker III and Zach Charbonnet? And the follow-up question to that is, how much does Charbonnet's presence negatively impact Ken Walker III? And this can be viewed a couple different ways. Obviously, Charbonnet is a big-time talent, one of the top running backs of this year's class. Seattle is going to want to get him involved. He didn't draft him in the second round so that he can stand on the sideline 95% of the game. He's going to get his opportunities. But at the same time, Ken Walker III is one of the most dynamic young backs in the league, and I think he's just barely scratching the surface of his potential. And I think you have to look at the numbers last year. Ken Walker III averaged around 17 touches per game. And with Zach Charbonnet now being in the mix, DJ Dallas coming back, Kenny McIntosh is a seventh-round selection set to compete at that position too. A lot of people have understandably been wondering, are you even going to be able to get Ken Walker the third of that many touches per game? And I talked about this on a couple of shows that I was guest starring on the past few days, but I want to extend or expand upon this a little bit. I think 17 touches is definitely doable for Ken Walker III while you're still getting Zach Charbonnet and the other backs involved. And there's one big reason why I expect that to be the case. I mean, really two. The first is that Ken Walker III, you have to remember, he was not even a starter until week six because Rashad Penny was a starter before he went down. 
And there were a handful of games in there where the Seahawks really struggled to get their run game going. And ultimately they had to throw the football all over the yard. They couldn't run the ball. So there was a lack of touches in that regard. And that really dives into the second part here. The Seahawks were one of the worst third down teams in the entire NFL last year. They finished 20th in third down conversion rate. They finished 20th overall in success rate on third downs. But if you dig even deeper, when the Seahawks lost five out of six in the second half, from week 10 till the end of the season, they dipped down to 27th in the NFL in third down success rate, one of the worst teams in the NFL. So even though the Seahawks finished with a top 10 scoring offense and there were a lot of positives, they really struggled to sustain drives and convert on third downs. Not a lot of successful plays either in the passing or run game, especially in the second half of the season. I expect that that is going to improve substantially this year, not just because Jackson Smith and Jigba has now been added to the fold, a guy that can really move the chains, win in the middle of the field. But I think the offensive line is going to be better with whoever wins the center job, right guard. Phil Haynes was the better guard between him and Gabe Jackson last year. Bradford could beat him out. I just think the offensive line is better. So you add that with the extra weapon added to the receiving core to go with Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf. There's no excuse. This should be a better team on third down than what we saw a year ago, which means longer drives, and that means more opportunities. So as far as I'm concerned, yes, Zach Charbonnet is going to eat a little bit into Ken Walker III's play, his play numbers. There's no question about it. But I expect the Seahawks are going to run enough plays, and they're going to be successful enough in third down that both these guys are going to get plenty of touches. So I think 17 touches per game like Walker had last year is still very feasible, not a difficult mark to hit. He's going to get his opportunities in the passing game too. So we're just talking 17 touches. That can be carries. It can be receptions. The ball is going to be in his hands. And I think I think Charbonnet, that there's going to be a role for him, whether that's short yardage, being that alternate back that's going to get 40% of the work share. And I even think Kenny McIntosh or DJ Dallas is that third down back is going to get some opportunity. You're not going to get a ton of snaps playing that third down role, especially the other two backs that they have. But I don't think that that is going to mitigate Ken Walker III's value very much. Maybe the bottom line with rushing yardage and stuff like that isn't quite as good. Maybe he has some touchdowns vaulted from him. My fantasy owners that are listening to the show, that is what you care about the most. I do think there's a chance that Charbonnet could steal some of those touchdown opportunities in the red zone just because of his running style. And we saw him do it at UCLA. He has a nose for the end zone. Not the home run hitter that Ken Walker the third is, though. So at the end of the day, I view this as a very good problem to have because you know how many injuries the Seahawks have had in their backfield the last five or six years. It is a position of high attrition rates. Ken Walker the third got banged up some last year, missed a game. Wasn't quite right the last four or five weeks of the season. He was good enough to play on game days and had some really productive games, but he was far below 100%. Rashad Penny with his injury history, those guys get banged up. And so Zach Charbonnet is going to have games where he gets more carries and more opportunities in general than he does other Sundays. That's just the way it's going to work. And DJ Dallas and Kenny McIntosh, they've got to be ready because there will be games that their number is going to be called upon more. That is the nature of the position. But I think when you look big picture, as long as he stays healthy, I think Ken Walker III is going to be the bell cow still for this backfield, 60 to 65% workload. And as long as he's healthy, I think another 1,000-yard season is definitely doable. I think 17-plus touches per game is certainly doable. While still getting Charbonnet involved enough to justify selecting him where you did, especially if he is pounding the ball into the end zone frequently, 
that is going to add up for a team that's trying to win football games and make a deep playoff run. And so I think both these guys can have a niche in this offense without compromising one another. And it can be a really two, really good one-two punch. And, and DJ Dallas and Kenny McIntosh can have their place as well. They're going to be more involved in the special teams. But if you have some injuries, those guys are both talented enough that they can be workhorses when called upon. They can both catch the football. They can run the football, pass protection abilities. So this is a very solid running back group. Even Bryant Kobach, who they signed earlier in the offseason that didn't quite make the Vikings roster has a lot of athletic talent. So he might be a guy to keep an eye on, but it's going to be a very difficult position to crack with those top four. Nonetheless, I think this is one of the strength positions now for the Seahawks. And it should be with the capital that they've invested. Many fans upset they used back-to-back second round picks, but I don't think that fans are going to be upset anymore. I think they will be more forgiving if this becomes one of the best one-two tandems in the NFL. The Seahawks get back to being able to ground and pound the football to go with the passing arsenal they have. This offense, the sky is the limit if you can put all those pieces together. And, of course, health is going to be a big factor. But I certainly think Ken Walker III's got another big season coming up for him. With Zach Charbonnet getting some touches and being involved in the offense as well, it's exciting for Seattle's ground game as they try to become an even more potent all-around offense during the 2023 season. Coming up next, it's Throwback Tuesday. Unfortunately, Rob's going to have to wait until our Wednesday show to name his running back in corner, but I'll be looking at my candidates for the most underrated running back in Seahawks history and a couple of cornerbacks that stand out as the most underrated corners in Seahawks history. I'll get to those here in a moment here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Sprint your 40 time over to FanDuel as the NFL season quickly approaches because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you give it in everything from season awards to week one props to exact regular season win totals for all 32 NFL teams, even with training camp still a month away. We're excited to dig into season props such as NFL MVP, Rookie of the Year, and more. Regardless of what prop you choose, you'll get paid instantly if you win. There's no better place to bet on the upcoming football action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For every dayers, Rob Rang will be rejoining me tomorrow. We'll continue our 90-player countdown, and we're also going to be taking a look on defense at the linebacker position as we continue our training camp preview jam-packed episode that you won't want to miss it's throwback tuesday a little bit of a history lesson looking at our all underrated teams rob and i started this last week with quarterbacks and safeties rob's going to get a chance tomorrow to play some catch up with some way back wednesday and we'll allow him to talk about his selections for running back and corner but i'm going to be riding solo today and i'm really excited about this because of course as i just emphasized in the first segment running backs that's always been my position it's the spot i played it's the position that i coached varsity football. I worked with some college players in the weightlifting aspect and training at the running back position as well. So of course, there's going to be a little bit of bias coming from me when we're talking running backs. And so I'm really excited to look at the most underrated running back in Seahawks history. And 
This one I found to be somewhat tricky because I do think that there are a few players that have toted the rock for the Seahawks during their history that have kind of become forgotten over the years that you could justify putting in this spot. And some might say there's some recency bias with my selection, but I don't think so. I truly think that Chris Carson is the most underrated running back in Seahawks history. We're talking about a guy that came in as a seventh round selection unheralded out of Oklahoma State, wasn't even a guy who was the bell cow at Oklahoma State, just as Hill was their main running back. So Chris Carson was the change of pace guy. For him to come into the league, the way that he ran with reckless abandon and plowed through people, spun out of tackles, made guys miss in space, hurling over defenders. He did so many exciting things with the football in his hands. And he got better every year as a receiver. It's unfortunate that injuries ended up being his downfall and led to him retiring before the 2022 season. And we only got to see 2,000-yard campaigns. But still, those two years were really impressive. And when you look at what the Seahawks did when Chris Carson was their main running back, they were not the same team when he was out with an injury. He really was the soul of the offense. They were just a different unit when he was on the field and you could hand it off to number 32. It opened up the passing game and defenders just didn't want anything to do with tackling Chris Carson. It's understandable why I'm talking about a 220 plus pound freight train that also was extremely athletic. Not a guy that hit a lot of 20 plus yard home runs. That wasn't his game, but he knew how to move the chains. A lot of 10 plus yard runs, a physical punishing runner that dragged defenders, finished with authority, caught the football like a receiver, could pass protect the opportunities that he had. It wasn't something he did a lot for the Seahawks being their main running back, but he could do it all. And being a seventh-round pick, I think he's one of the best seventh-round picks. You could make an argument, maybe the best seventh-round pick that the Seahawks have made in terms of the production and being a Pro Bowl caliber player. I think he should have made at least one Pro Bowl team. It unfortunately did not happen. It wasn't an all-pro selection. He was picked as an alternate one time, and he was injured that year. So he would have had an opportunity to maybe play in the game, but since he wasn't healthy, they did not pick him as an alternate. So unfortunately ended his career without any of those accolades. But he got player of the month one time. He got player of the week a couple of times. So there were certainly some noteworthy awards for him. And he was just a really fun back to watch. And the Seahawks have been lucky. They've had some other backs they've been able to turn to over the last five or six years with the injuries that he had. But again, they were not the same offense. Rashad Penny, the end of the year in 2021, that's about the only exception to that, the way he ran those last five or six games. But otherwise, they just were not the same offense when Chris Carson was not out there with his punching style and the way it just rubbed off on his teammates and the way that it impacted the rest of the offense, how it impacted defenses, the mentality that they played with, you were forced to play with to tackle him. So, yeah, he's not the most productive running back in Seahawks history, but players like Sean Alexander and Chris Warren and Kurt Warner and Marshawn Lynch – they are stars in Seahawks lore. You don't hear Chris Carson's name thrown around in that same discussion. And obviously didn't have the numbers those guys did, didn't have an MVP award, didn't have all pro selections. But if he could have stayed healthy, if he could have avoided the injuries that ultimately derailed his career, I think Chris Carson could have been a guy that ended up being in the top five rushing yards total for the Seahawks. He had that kind of talent and also got some catches for you. He provided an all-around skill set. So he is my all-underrated team 
running back selection. And to me, this ended up being a slam dunk. There were a few other guys to consider, but Chris Carson absolutely deserves this honor, in my opinion. Now, flipping to the defense, I'm going to go more old school here. All of our listeners know who Chris Carson is. He's only been out of the league for a year. Not going to be the case at the cornerback position because you look at some of the corners the Seahawks have had recently. You know, you could maybe consider somebody like Byron Maxwell, who did a lot of really good things for a handful of years for the Seahawks in the Legion of Boom, known for punching out the football, generated some interceptions, really good press cover guy. But he didn't have the numbers and the longevity of a few guys in the 80s that, quite frankly, got overlooked. And so this is going to be a very 80-centric episode when we're looking at the corner positions for me I got to start with a guy that actually was with the Seahawks very early in their franchise history and that is Keith Simpson and he played some safety too so there's some versatility to this he actually was a strong safety a couple years for the Seahawks he was an outside cornerback the other years but he was one of those players that truly got lost in the shadows behind Kenny Easley, Dave Brown, John Harris, the really talented secondary players that the Seahawks had in the early to mid-80s. But you look at the numbers, three seasons with four interceptions or more, three interceptions returned for touchdowns. And the other thing that I love about this guy, he had 10 sacks in his NFL career. And part of that was because he did play some safety. He played a little bit in the box, but you could move this guy all around. He was a player that was kind of ahead of his time in terms of positional versatility. But when you're talking about a guy that had 16 or more than 16 career interceptions, returned three of them for touchdowns at 10 career sacks for seven fumbles. He did a little bit of everything and yet was never a pro bowler, never was an all pro. And a lot of that was because he played in a secondary that was littered with stars And even though he was really productive in his own right, he was kind of stuck in the shadows a little bit. But I think he is certainly a player that's one of the most underrated defenders in Seahawks history, had a really good career, spent his entire time in Seattle. You can't say the same about the second candidate, but that doesn't make it any less of an underrated or the underrated team selection. And that's Terry Taylor, who also joined the Seahawks in the mid-1980s. He played his first five seasons in Seattle. He would later play a sixth season, part of a sixth season, had some injuries, only played in, I believe, five games. But those first five years, three of those seasons, he had five or three of those seasons, he had three or more interceptions, excuse me, also had 259 tackles in his six total seasons with the Seahawks. And I think the picture for our YouTube listeners that are watching, I think the picture sums it up with him flipping Al Toon over in midair. This is a guy that would come up and stick you for not being a big corner necessarily. He could hit, he could tackle, had really solid ball skills. He also returned two interceptions for touchdowns in his first five seasons with the Seahawks. He spent some time in Detroit, had a couple productive seasons there, but his best football was with the Seattle Seahawks. And he put up some really good numbers in his first five seasons. Certainly a guy that has become forgotten over the years, but another player that wasn't a pro bowler or an all pro selection, but had that kind of ability and put up those kind of numbers for a handful of seasons for the Seahawks. So I think that would be a really good secondary with those two guys as your all underrated corners, guys that were very productive and had longevity. They had long careers. Taylor played part of in Detroit, but both these guys played more than nine seasons in the NFL, which is a lot longer than average. So you had longevity, you had durability, you had production, you had athleticism, you had versatility. These guys brought it all to the table. So easy selections for me for the all underrated Seahawks team 
in the secondary. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, greatly appreciate all the 12s taking the time to make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Just scanning some of our listeners that are listening to the show. We've got listeners from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., Shelton, Washington, North Iowa. We have fans listening to the show from all over the country and even outside the country. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's get to our 90-man countdown. We are now going into the 50s, almost to the halfway mark in our countdown. And there's going to be a lot of offensive line talk in the episode today. We've also got a couple of incoming draft picks as well. So coming in at number 50, I already talked some running backs. And one of the reasons I didn't talk too much about Kenny McIntosh in that first segment is because he's got an entire segment dedicated to him here in our 90-man countdown. And you look at the numbers that he put up in his only season where he was the guy. He was the starter for Georgia. He had to bide his time behind players like James Cook and White the last couple of years at Georgia. Last season, 824 rushing yards, 5.5 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns on the ground. He was second in the country among running backs with 509 receiving yards, finished seventh with 42 receptions and had two touchdowns through the air. So this guy was one of the best all-around running backs in the country last year, playing for the defending national champions, helped him get their second straight national title. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball. He's got special teams ability. So why did he fall to the seventh round? It really boils down to the pro day and his combine workout. He just didn't test near as well. 4.62 second 40-yard dash for running back. That's pretty slow. And that is not a time I expected from him. I thought he'd run the low four fives, maybe even the high four fours, based on what I'd seen on film. He moves quicker than a 4.62 guy but he just didn't test as well as people thought. And so that caused him to stumble all the way into the seventh round and the Seahawks select him. Zach Charbonnet and Ken Walker III are going to be number one and two. There's no question about that. And DJ Dallas ran the ball well last year when he had his opportunities. He's not going to be letting this rookie come in and just take his job without a fight. That being said, I think McIntosh has a really good shot to be Seattle's third down back because he's such a natural receiver really soft hands. He can run routes from outside as well as in the slot. So you can move him around the formation. Just not a guy that's going to miss many opportunities when you throw the football to him, can create some of the ball in his hands. He's also a really solid between the tackles runner that runs with a little more power than you would expect. He doesn't look like he weighs 210 pounds, but he's a 210 pound back and he runs with some power for being one of the smaller backs on Seattle's roster. So I think he brings a lot of traits to the table to give him a chance to play. I also have been impressed with his pass protection. He had a few games last year where he wasn't quite as good in that regard. But overall, consistency-wise, he's generally been a pretty good pass protector. So I think that's what's going to determine who wins that third down back job. We'll have more opportunities to discuss that competition as we get closer to camp. But I think the pass protection protection aspect, if McIntosh – can have an edge there with his receiving ability, what he did running the ball last year at Georgia. He's got a chance to be that third down guy over DJ Dallas, and that's going to be a really fun secondary battle to take a look at in training camp. Let's go to the offensive line now. Going to be looking at a couple of third-year players on this countdown. and This is a player that last year opened training camp as the starter at right tackle, and then, of course, Abraham Lucas ended up taking the job midway through training camp. Jake Curhan. I loved what he did in his five games that he started in place of Brandon Shell, the end of his rookie season. We're talking about an undrafted player out of Cal 
who probably wouldn't have gone undrafted if not for a heart condition that was flagged during a pre-draft medical evaluation. It was something that he already knew about, wasn't something he was concerned about affecting him on the field. The Seahawks took that chance on him, and he was a big reason why Rashad Penny led the NFL in rushing yards his last five games of the 2021 season because Kerhan really was a rock in the run game. Pass protection, not so much. And his limited action last year gave up two pressures and a sack, had a zero pass blocking grade from pro football focus. Again, did not play very many snaps last year, so it's a very small sample size, but he did not play well in pass pro when he checked into the game, played most of the snaps at right guard. That is probably where he's going to be rotating the most now because Stone Forsythe is truly the swing tackle. I'll get to a little bit more on him later. That really opens the door for Curhan to compete at right guard. But you got Anthony Bradford and you've also got Phil Haynes. Evan Brown, who you signed as a center, can also play both guard spots. So he really right now is in a position where I think Curhan makes this football team. But last year he was inactive as a healthy scratch for a lot of games. He might be looking at a very similar situation if everybody's healthy. The Seahawks may not dress him very often and go with another position just because of the numbers game. They view Stone Forsyth as the better option at left and right tackle right now. Forsyth got the start last year in place of Abe Lucas, not Jake Curhan. So while he's a player the Seahawks value, and he certainly can play for them in a pinch, he's given them some good snaps. He is truly a reserve at this point. There's not really anywhere for him to go as far as starting is concerned. Maybe he competes at right guard, a valuable asset as a reserve. They can play multiple spots but that's really what his niche is now in the NFL going into his third season. Going to the secondary, got another draft pick here, picked before Kenny McIntosh. And this is a guy that I think four months ago probably wasn't going to get drafted. And then everything changed with his pro day workout. The Seahawks, one of the teams in attendance to watch Jarek Reed II at his pro day, ran in the low four fours, had a close to 40-inch vertical jump ran really well in the change of direction drills as well. They loved his personality, the way that he played the game. John Schneider called him an angry elf the way that he plays the game. And just look at the numbers last year, 94 tackles, 10 pass breakups, an interception, four and a half tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. This guy did a little bit of everything. And New Mexico has not been good. They historically are not a good football program. They don't win a lot of games. And they didn't win many games while he was on campus. That's part of the reason that he hovered under the radar just as he had come out of high school with no Division I or Division II scholarship offers. This is a guy that just consistently kind of hovers under the radar. That did not happen, though, with the Seattle Seahawks. They noticed him at the pro day. They brought him in for one of his two official pre-draft visits, and they loved what they saw and heard from him. Ended up taking him in the sixth round. And now he's going to have an opportunity to learn from Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. There's not really a road to him playing on defense right now, but he can carve out a key role on special teams. He can get some snaps at the second and third team defense at both safety spots as well as slot corner. His ability to play all three of those positions, that's going to help him a lot. Not necessarily guaranteed he's going to make this team. He's going to have to go out and earn that spot with Joey Blunt and Jonathan Sutherland, an undrafted rookie the Seahawks seem to like a lot at the safety position. There's a lot of competition there. You've also got Julian Love coming in as a free agent. Maybe those three battling for one roster spot, but Reed's athleticism and his versatility is certainly going to help him, and the Seahawks are very high on this kid. So if he's able to deliver on that hype, very good chance he's on the roster, and maybe we're looking at a starter a year or two down the road to replace one of their aging veterans. 
in the secondary. Sticking with the rookie group now, coming in at number 47 on our countdown, Mike Morris coming out of Michigan, maybe the most intriguing rookie that the Seahawks are bringing in. And I know they've got more talented players they drafted earlier, but there's just something about this kid. Seeing him on the field, he had seven and a half sacks or maybe nine if you look at pro football folks. This data, they charted him with nine. Michigan handed him seven and a half. So either way, breakout year for him for the Wolverines last year, even playing with an injury for part of the season, had seven and a half sacks tied for the team lead for Michigan, who ended up making the college football playoff. He played mostly off the edge last year. The Seahawks, they're changing things up because he didn't test very well at the combine. Part of that was coming back from an injury, but this guy is not a speedster, not necessarily the athlete you're looking for off the edge in the NFL. But at 6'6", 290 plus, he is going to be a real problem for guards trying to block at the three-tech position. If he can figure that spot out quickly and acclimate to be on a full-time defensive end, defensive tackle type, he's got the body to do it. He just towers over everybody. He just looks different on the field. And who knows if that's going to translate to production. But watching his film at Michigan, it certainly did last year. Very disruptive player with a quick first step in the interior if he's able to figure out the leverage issues, being 6'6 can be a disadvantage for a defensive lineman. But if he can get around that with his athleticism, his physicality, his motor, this is a kid that could play a lot of snaps for the Seahawks as a rookie, even as a fifth-round pick. I don't know if he starts, but maybe by the end of the season, he might work his way into the starting rotation if he really gets a hang of this position quickly. It is going to have some growing pains going with it. But certainly this is a kid that has the talent and he's got the mindset to be an interior defensive lineman. The Seahawks are hoping that he's able to really turn things around quickly at this spot and be a key contributor, at least on passing downs. I expect that he's going to have a fairly significant role for the Seahawks defense from day one. With all the new pieces on the D-line, there are snaps to be had. And I think this kid is going to be looking to be advantageous in that regard. Capitalize on it and take advantage of those chances. Let's get those reps and let's show this team what we can do as a rookie in the NFL. And closing off this section of the countdown, I already talked about Jake Curhan. I mentioned this guy's name earlier. He's a few pegs ahead of Jake Curhan because Stone Forsythe has truly established himself as Seattle's swing tackle. Last year, he started one game, week 17, at right tackle. He was the choice, not Jake Curhan, to replace an injured Abraham Lucas. And he gave up seven quarterback pressures in this game. We're not going to sit here and pretend that he was perfect. That was a really tough Jets defensive front. He gave up some quick pressures, but no sacks in that game. And I thought that his run blocking was pretty solid in that football game. He played over 100 snaps last year. They used him some as a sixth offensive lineman, a la George Fant style from a few years back. And right now, that is his path to getting on the field, as a situational sixth offensive lineman. He's athletic enough that he can play that role. Now, I don't think they're going to ask him to do what George Fant did a couple times and go out and catch a pass. I don't think he's that kind of an athlete, doesn't have the college basketball background that Fant had. But certainly, if you're looking for an extra bit of beef on the offensive line and you want to run the football short yardage situations, I think Forsyth could be used in that capacity. And any snap that he gets right now, he is going to be putting – film out there for prospective teams because with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas entrenched as the starters here, they both got three years remaining on their rookie deal. Without injuries, those guys are going to be the starters. There's not a path for Forsyth to play in Seattle beyond those handful of snaps as a sixth offensive lineman, but he's only 25. 
He's really athletic for the position. There's a lot to like about it, and there's a lot of teams that need tackles. So he's going to be looking to put some positive film out there with whatever opportunities he gets so that when his contract expires after the 2024 season, he might be a player that teams are looking at thinking he's developed behind Cross and Lucas. He is ready for his opportunity to start. Maybe with another team, he could get a chance to be a starter in the NFL. So still very important for him to go out and do what he can do with the limited reps that he has. And if the Seahawks need him, he has been able to step up and play at a fairly high level. They should have confidence that he can step in for a couple games if one of their tackles gets banged up and misses time. And that's all you can ask for. You want to have backups that are competent enough that they can start. You want starter caliber players in reserve roles. And I believe Forsyth has already established himself as that kind of a player that can be a spot starter and can contribute for the Seahawks offensive line when they need him to. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Wednesday show, we're going to continue our training camp preview looking at the linebacker position. And Rob, of course, will get his opportunity to dish out his all-underrated team Team, uh, picks for running back and cornerback jam-packed episode will be coming your way make sure that you are listening in thanks for tuning into this episode and go hawks